Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right. Well, here we are with another episode of this podcast, which uh, takes us into the work lives of many accessibility practitioners. And today I am pleased to be speaking with Tom Vlikowski. Hi, Tom. How are you today? Doing well, Joe. How about yourself? I'm good. It's a nice uh, summer day in Vashon Island, which is near uh, Blink's Seattle headquarters office. Uh, where are you talking to us from? I'm at Comcast's corporate headquarters in Philadelphia, and uh, it's a nice typical summer July day here. A little bit of humidity, but uh, you know the, the temperatures in the upper 80s. And uh, uh, you know I'm a big fan of summer, so I'm all in on this type of weather for sure. All right. Well, it's, it's great to have you here. I've always enjoyed my visits to uh, Philadelphia. Uh, well, I, I, in uh, this podcast, you know, one of the things that we do is find out about, you know, what things you're involved in and how you got to where you are today. So maybe you could start out just talking about a little bit about your uh, current position and what that entails. So I have the pleasure of leading uh, the accessibility program here at Comcast. And uh, our goal is to really ensure that disability inclusion is a part of everything we do uh, in terms of how we design and develop products, whether they be employee facing or customer facing. Now, of course, any one of us in the accessibility space will tell each other and, and anyone who wants to know that accessibility is a journey, right? There isn't a destination. Um, and so it, it continues to evolve as technology evolves, as new businesses come into the fold. Um, you know, we're just, you know, really now this year leaning in uh, pretty deeply on our employee experience side. Um, you know, we got started focusing on our customer facing products, largely our entertainment products. And obviously that has expanded over time as well. Um, and so accessibility at Comcast is really founded on three fundamental pillars, if you will. Uh, customer and stakeholder engagement would be one pillar. Product capabilities would be the second pillar and then the infrastructure necessary to support our commitment is that third pillar. And various people on my team are on the hook for different aspects of each one of those pillars that I described. Now, we don't own products per se. There may be one product, our adaptive uh, web remote application, which we can talk about in a moment, that, that we do oversee directly. But everything else we do is like most accessibility groups at large companies in support of various product and business units across the organization. Um, so we're there to define requirements and we are there as you know consultants and do some testing and, and all of that. So 
Um, but when we think about like customer and stakeholder engagement, it's really based on the nothing about us without us um, statement that we hear from the civil rights uh, uh, space. And we can't build our products in a vacuum. We need to deliver products that and design products with, with accessibility in mind. And the best way to do that is to talk to the end user. Um, and so we, I have somebody on my team who manages our engagement work and, um, you know, they'll do everything from helping us, you know, provide people for focus groups for our research team uh, that we have in our experience design organization that helps us. Um, they'll put together round tables. Um, you know, they, they help us, you know, this person, uh, Joel, uh, identifies, you know, specific types of partnerships that we might want to establish uh, and then oversees the creation of, of the relationship. Uh, and so, for example, today we have a, a very nice partnership with the Team Gleason Foundation. Team Gleason was founded by Steve Gleason, the retired NFL uh, New Orleans Saints player who, after he retired, um, was diagnosed with ALS. And uh, the foundation's mission is until there's a cure for ALS, technology is the cure. And as we talked about, we have this web remote experience that you know, allows someone with ALS or other disabilities to bring whatever assistive technology they have uh, that works best for them, as long as they can use it to browse the web or you know, uh, navigate the digital world, bring that technology to our doorstep and essentially have a web experience that allows them to independently control uh, their TV viewing experience. Uh, and so Joel on my team would create that type of a partnership because we have this product that we developed for uh, a number of reasons and we wanna make it better, um, but also we wanna get the word out and drive traffic. So that's, that's kind of engagement and we do that and he does that on the same side of, of the employee awareness piece. Like we need to keep accessibility top of mind with our employees. And so Joel is very involved in our global accessibility awareness day activities in May, uh, certainly works with our My Abilities Employee Resource Group and, and uh, works you know, on things for National Disability Awareness, uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month in October, et cetera. And so that's engagement. Product capabilities kind of speak for themselves once I tell you the types of products that we have. Um, so of course, making sure that whatever mobile applications we have in the app stores are as inclusive as we can make them at, at any given time. Um, and you know, that's you know, supporting the product groups and helping them with testing or requirements, et cetera. Same thing with web experiences, right? Uh, web content accessibility guidelines 2.1 and AA conformance criteria is, is our target. Um, but then on the other side of product capabilities, you know, we, we put on a lot of hardware, cable set-top boxes. We're now uh, partnered with Hisense to manufacture the X-Class smart TV. It, it's a, a TV that has a 43 or a 50-inch model. Uh, it's available today in Walmart. And so of course we have to make that TV as inclusive as we can, right? And again, it's a journey. So what we launched with today, the first generation of that product, we're gonna evolve that over time, right? So that's a, that's a built-in piece. Um, same thing with set-top boxes. 
soon we're gonna uh, 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 be talking about a new large button remote control uh, that we have for people with dexterity challenges or, or visual impairments. Um, and so I think you can see there um, the product capability side of, of the house. Uh, we were the first in our industry to launch um, an accessible set-top box interface for the blind. Uh, we have a talking guide that we call voice guidance. And that uh, feature, the voice guidance feature, allows someone like myself, who is blind, uh, to navigate the X1 and Flex uh, user interface. So, you know, navigating the electronic program guide to pick what you want to watch on TV, navigating our video on demand library, uh, et cetera, et cetera, setting and playing back a DVR recording. Uh, so that just kind of gives you an example. And then the third piece, and then I'll be quiet and let you get a word in edgewise on your own podcast, um, is, is infrastructure. And so what are the tools uh, that our developers need to be able to deliver on Comcast's commitment to building inclusive products and experiences for both employees and customers? Uh, the requirements, uh, design patterns. I have a small design team within my organization um, that, that helps us there on that front. Um, you know, we have a lab, uh, more, really more of a showcase uh, suite on our, on our innovation floor that we can bring employees and, and outside guests into uh, and show them the types of technologies that individuals with disabilities use, but also our products. And, you know, we can bring people in and, and, and you know, work on projects and say, okay, hey, here's a new product. How do we want to go make this inclusive? Um, so that really gives you a, a pretty broad overview. Um, it's obviously there are more things than that, but in general, those are the, the three pillars and, and examples of how those pillars work. Well, I, I really appreciate that uh, glimpse into what appears to be very uh, comprehensive and a uh, robust approach to uh, accessibility at Comcast. And, and I, th I think I want to uh, maybe check in with a couple of those items in more detail a little bit later. Uh, one of the things with this uh, program also is to learn how people have found their way into embracing accessibility as a profession. And so maybe uh, you could share with us, uh, kind of go, go back in time and, you know, where your, your lived life, your work life uh, first started having experiences that led you on the path to where you are today. Sure. So I'm the youngest of four boys. Uh, I was born blind. The rest of my brothers uh, are sighted. Uh, grew up in uh, Southington, Connecticut. Um, so basically a, a suburb, suburban community. Um, was mainstreamed through public schools. Um, went on to major in communications at Boston College. Um, along the way, um, you know, did things that that kids do. Uh, you know, played drums in the marching band. Had a rock band on the side. Um, still play drums today. Um, you know, also saxophone. So there's there's a, some music background there. Um, uh, you know, uh, pretty normal childhood, I would say. Uh, obviously, uh, being mainstreamed through public schools, had vision teachers come in from the state of Connecticut Board of Education Services for the Blind to teach Braille skills, orientation and mobility, all of that. Um, so 
that's the quick five second version of kind of, you know, the child years. But then in Boston College, you know, majored in communications, thought I was going to do a career in radio and actually started out um, doing worked for a, a radio reading service in Connecticut and then for a for a brief period at a news talk station in Hartford. WPOP was a news talk station at the time, I believe it's a sports uh, station now. Um, and um, kind of worked as a as a network producer for a statewide news network that we had. And, you know, having gone to school in Boston, you know, I really, and this is before the days of Uber, et cetera, really saw the independence that I was able to have in a different way in Boston than I was where I grew up. And where I grew up, you had to drive everywhere, right? In Boston, I could jump on the T and, and pretty much get anywhere I wanted, or taxis were certainly more plentiful at the time. Again, predating Uber and Lyft and rideshare as a practice. Um, and so um, in going back to Boston, trying to find a, a radio gig, um, one of the folks in my network, a friend of mine says, hey, have you heard of this service called Descriptive Video Service? And I hadn't heard of it. Um, uh, and I said, now yeah, what's that? And they said, well, they, they, they make television and movies accessible to the blind by inserting narrated description into the natural pauses of the program dialogue. And they're pioneering this at WGBH, which is the public broadcaster in Boston. Um, they said, you might wanna go, you know, check it out. Maybe there's something there for you too. Um, so I, you know, got connected to the executive director of that organization at the time, who just happened to be uh, a fellow alum of Boston College. And so a 30 minute informational interview ended up turning into an hour long conversation. And then all of a sudden, you know, job openings uh, were discussed and threw my hat in the ring and was fortunate enough to get a job uh, at Descriptive Video Service as an outreach coordinator. And that's the beginning of my uh, accessibility career. Um, kind of put radio to the side at that point um, and started working on uh, the Descriptive Video Service uh, efforts as an outreach coordinator. Went from there to another R&D group within the same media access group at WGBH, co-authored guidelines under federal grants uh, for educational multimedia and how to make that accessible. Uh, led a federal grant on making set-top boxes accessible. Who knew that so many years later I'd actually be making a set-top box accessible for a large cable company. Um, so things kind of went full circle. Um, at that R&D group, we had a business partner program. And so we would offer accessibility consulting services to corporations in, and, and the, the consulting fees would be turned back in to help fund our R&D efforts to make you know, next-gen multimedia and other media services accessible. And so uh, I was tapped to manage the consulting relationship that we had with America Online at the time, AOL. And then uh, AOL was looking for a full-time accessibility director. And fortunately, through having been their uh, consultant on accessibility, I was tapped to, uh, to be their second director of accessibility. Um, uh, stayed there for 10 years, did some interesting work at AOL. And then in 2012, um, again, through my network, so this really speaks to the value of networking, um, 
you know, I learned about the Comcast job and uh, I've been here just over 10 years and it's been a fun ride ever since. Well, uh, let's, uh, yeah, going back to uh, the work, let's see, you before AOL, uh, it, it, you went from uh, working with the, uh, it was uh, WGBH, I believe you said, and then was AOL after that. So I think uh, around that time, that was probably uh, uh, the time that the W3C WCAG uh, uh, things were first coming out. I think a Absolutely. lot to me, that's when I got involved. That's when I think a lot of things started happening in terms of making accessible technology more mainstream. Um, you know, was that something you were, you know, aware of when you were involved in the, uh, the work with radio and going into a AOL or, or, uh, was it something that, you know, came about as you got involved in the tech industry? And once I went to WGBH, I started working in their media access group. So radio was kind of not, not the focal point. And so absolutely we were aware and was even involved in uh, some of the W3C work. I can remember uh, several CSUN conferences uh, sitting in on uh, the web content accessibility guidelines working group, you know, when Greg Vanderheiden and, and Wendy Chisholm were co-chairs of the, the initial uh, set of guidelines. Uh, Judy Brewer, of course, you know that the W3C um, was based at MIT. And, and so Judy Brewer was from Massachusetts and uh, obviously WGBH being in Massachusetts, got to know Judy uh, pretty well, actually knew her. Um, in her prior role to uh, uh, the W3C Wave Web Accessibility Initiative, and so uh, you know we were definitely involved in uh, in that work. Um, you know, some some folks at GBH more than I was. I was I was kind of more on the outreach side at the time, and then writing guidelines and consulting. But uh, certainly uh, was very involved at points. Um, uh, you know, worked, you know, you mentioned you had had John Gunderson on the podcast and uh, certainly worked with him. John shared the user agent guidelines back in the day. And so I was involved in that, um, you know, at AOL, uh, worked with people like Rich Schwartfeger and others. Uh, we, we've, uh, you know, when Rich and, and the team were leading the, the accessible rich internet application ARIA work, um, you know, we founded a group uh, that AOL sponsored that was called the DHTML Style Guide, and we were looking at okay, you can make these widgets, um, uh, ex, you know, accessible, but you know, we got to define the keyboard behavior for, you know, how should a tree view perform on the web? And we were trying to align what what the types of widgets we were seeing appear on the web. We were trying to align the 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 keyboard interaction behavior uh, with with what was kind of commonplace in in the desktop environment. So certainly uh, definitely touched W3C activities um, in, in many different ways, either hosted events, sat in guidelines meetings, you know, the DHTML style group at AOL, we also founded something called the Internet Caption Forum, which uh, really was trying to bring a lot of the, the you know, internet companies together, the Yahoo's and Google's and AOL's and, and folks like that, um, and, and even some traditional media companies to say, hey, 
how do we really make captions work on the internet? And you know, uh, Simpty Time Text was a result of of some of that efforts. And you know, now today we have Web VTT and TTML and some of these other text formats for uh, you know SRT files for rendering you know closed captions and things like that. So um, I've been involved in a you know in one way or another. Uh, either as a you know bystander or active participant in 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 many of these areas. Oh well, it's uh, you know really interesting to uh, hear you talking about that. I, I you know Boston was such so much at the uh, nexus of uh, of uh, early web codification. If uh, maybe people aren't uh, familiar with all that went on there, you know especially as Tim Berners Lee uh, began to. To lead efforts uh, and uh, uh, in, and uh, and then you also mentioned uh, uh, Rich Schwertzfeger, uh, who I had uh, interviewed for this. His episode he hasn't been released yet, but all of his work with uh, with Aria was uh, you know really uh, a lot of amazing work that that went on at, at that point. So it sounds like uh, you had some communication there, and did that come into your work at AOL? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Rich is a, is a good friend. And, and a lot of the folks in the field are, you know, we, we root for each other. We, we work together. I think accessibility is a very collegial uh, space to work in. Um, even if, you know, people work for competing companies, we, we root for each other and we, we leverage each other's success to, to drive, you know, disability inclusion forward within our own organizations. So, Absolutely, we're bringing that into AOL, brought it into Comcast, just like everyone else has brought it into, you know, whatever they're doing in the um, accessibility space in terms of uh, digital accessibility. So, you know, uh, you know, the the the, the WCAG really does serve as the as the benchmark for the various international regulations that that have you know web accessibility as a component, right? Section five hundred eight references back to it. You know, a lot of the European uh, 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 policies around accessibility, you know, kind of reference back to to the WCAG and, and some of these other guidelines. So, um, yeah, it was it was a it was a fun time to be part of that, and and um, you know, I was trying to do my part, and 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 hopefully I've been able to contribute in some way. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with you about uh, community uh, working together. Uh, you mentioned CSUN, and uh, that's certainly a, a wonderful event to uh, to attend and be able to uh, you know learn new things and meet a lot of people. Uh, I was uh, at the uh, I'd missed a couple of years, uh, but I was at the uh, most recent one that was in in Anaheim, and it was good to be able to. Uh, Get back in and be with people again. So it sounds like you were you know, this, you know, for a lot of this time, you were also able to uh, be involved in the community and and uh, you know, getting involved at conferences and things like that. Absolutely, yeah, no question about it. And uh, so then, you know, it it it, 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 it was probably a whirlwind of things uh, going on at AOL and then into your. Uh, work at, at Comcast, uh, you know, when I reflect on things that I've seen change in the past uh, 20 years, uh, 
there's some things that I think are, are amazing, like uh, uh, the amount of knowledge and technology that's been developed about accessibility is, is really incredible. Um, on the other hand, if I think back to 1998 and first working on it, I kind of thought things would have, certain things would have been farther along than they are. 22 years later. So I, I'm just wondering if uh, you have any perspectives on that, uh, starting at, uh, what was it, uh, WPOP, uh, you know, all the way up till today. Uh, yeah, are there some things that you're surprised uh, have gotten to where they are today, or maybe challenges that you th still think uh, we need to be concerned about? We always need to be concerned, right? I don't think an accessibility professional's work is ever done because there's always going to be a new technology. Now we're talking about, you know, XR accessibility, you know, VR, AR, you know, and I know some really good people, you know, are, are thinking about that. And hopefully I'll get a chance to, to, you know, you know, get more connected to that over time. I got my hands full here. And, you know, but I think we're going to start to see that, you know, that effort become more pervasive. And so the professional accessibility professionals work is, is never done. And, and even, you know, stuff that's more commonplace, like how to make a website accessible or how to build an, an accessible mobile app, you know, we need greater consistency and delivery of that, right? And, and that's why I said at the top that accessibility really is a journey. It's not a destination. And I think every one of us working in large companies would tell you that, you know, uh, it takes time. I think the good news is, you know, um, that that I think we're really at a, you know, at a at a turning point. And I think we've been saying this now for maybe uh, a little bit over a year. Certainly, the pandemic may have had some, you know, slowing effect on it. Um, of course, we all want want things to be further along, right? And we know that there are many gaps. Um, but if you think about the number of companies that are focusing on accessibility now, of course we would love more, but I think we have to take a step back and say, we are, those of us who have been in this uh, field, you know, even before it was really uh, able to be considered a field, have had impact. And, and the advocates and the consumers have certainly, and, and government officials, everyone has got their thumbprint on some aspect of this, right? Um, I would say that the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act played a big role in bringing a lot of the telecom companies uh, to the table in ways that perhaps they hadn't been before. Um, you know, we start to see, uh, you know, financial and pharmaceutical and insurance and, you know, all sorts of other industries, you know, really leaning in. Um, and I think what's also helping this move forward is, uh, you know, companies can't find enough talent uh, to do the work that needs to get done. And we both know, Joe, that people with disabilities are a vastly untapped talent pool. And, you know, that's, of course, going to play a role because you got to make the employee experience, the, tool, the tools that, that, that people need to do their work accessible. Um, so, so, Yes, it's taken longer than perhaps any of us would have hoped, um, but I think we have to take a step back and, and look at it and say, you know, um, you know, we are definitely making progress. Um, and I think one of the challenges is, you know, the disability community 
um, you know, is a fragmented community. My needs as a blind user are different than someone who is deaf versus someone with a physical disability. Um, and so we don't often find um, the disability community speaking with one collective voice like we do within other diverse communities. And so, um, you know, that, you know, that takes a while too to kind of get companies to figure out how to, to you know, and other organizations, uh, you know, obviously we've seen uh, challenges in academia um, as well. Um, but, but I think, you know, much brighter days are ahead. And I think we should hopefully start to see more acceleration now. Um, so I would like to think, you know, five years from now, you know, we'll be much further along from where we are today than say, you know, where we are today to five years ago. But I, but I think, you know, if I look even in my own industry, you know, when, when, when I started at Comcast in June of 2012, you know, there weren't a lot of, you know, traditional cable companies in the space. We didn't have a prime video, you know, uh, Netflix was, was probably still shipping DVDs as the majority of their business. You know, smart TVs hadn't come into, you know, real popularity uh, the way they are today. Um, and a lot of those devices now have accessibility built in, right, uh, to some degree or another. So, um, I, you know, yes, we want progress to be faster, but I think if you start to look back uh, over, you know, the past, you know, decade plus, um, you can see where advocates, government, and industry have all had a positive impact on, on driving disability inclusion forward. And I think tying it more effectively to very active uh, DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, uh, will also help move this forward. And there's work to be done there for sure. Well, I, I certainly uh, I agree that a lot has accelerated in the past few years. I see that with uh, job listings and opportunities for people in accessibility. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned is something that it, that has come up uh, in this podcast a few times, and that's uh, related to having people with disabilities in, involved in the uh, accessibility design and development process. And right at the, at the beginning, uh, you uh, mentioned the mantra about uh, 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 nothing not, about uh, us without us. Nothing about us without us. And uh, um, unfortunately, I think in a lot of organizations, uh, the infrastructure isn't there for people with abilities to be able to compete and have the same uh, work tools that are available to others in the organization. And personally, I see that as a, you know, as a real block or an impediment that, that we need to be able to solve. Um, I think culturally, uh, it how things are uh, promoted uh, within an organization is important. Uh, it, just the fact that you have uh, the title of Vice President of Accessibility, I, I think that's a, a strong indicator that there that there's a culture from the you know higher levels of the organization about accessibility. But uh, um, I, I really do think that uh, we, there needs to be more uh, opportunities, equitable opportunities for everyone to be able to participate in this uh, professional practice. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, organizations like 
IAAP have certainly played uh, a big role. Um, obviously, we talked a lot about the Web Accessibility Initiative. You know, um, you know, I think we see a lot of uh, disability organizations doing some great work. I, I'm on the board of Disability In, um, a B2B organization, um, and and you know, they're bringing companies together. We have uh, the Valuable Five Hundred. You know, Caroline Casey and team doing work, uh, you know, so so I think we're, you know, and, and and there are many other organizations that are doing work. It's always dangerous when somebody in my role starts to try and mention organizations because inevitably I'm going to leave somebody out and, and not make someone happy. So, you know, if I didn't mention your organization, uh, certainly, you know, value the work uh, that you're doing, uh, you know, um, you know, the Consumer Technology Association. Uh, I'm on the board of the Consumer Technology Association Foundation. You know they're doing they're doing you know doing some great work in in you know and helping you know in, get get nonprofits connected to technology, fostering you know opportunities for innovation. So I think we have um, a lot more visibility on this area. Than we've had, you know, probably when you and I started this in the in the early to mid '90s, um, but um, yeah, and we still know that there's a, a far too high unemployment rate of individuals with disabilities, and and you know, there's there's work to be done. Um, you know, I think you know an organization like TeachAccess.org and starting to you know, bring accessibility into computer science curriculum or digital accessibility into computer science curriculum uh, is, is, you know, great. Um, Comcast isn't part of that yet, but that's something that I hope to, uh, to be able to, uh, to make happen uh, over time. Um, so, you know, I think we see a lot of different areas of focus, uh, all driving toward that same goal. And you're right, we need more individuals with disabilities in the workplace, um, helping folks who are designing their experiences, whether it be digital or otherwise, physical, et cetera, um, to, to really offer that guidance. And, and so, you know, um, I, I agree. I think there's, you know, we need more opportunities. Um, I, I don't have the, uh, you know, the, the, the answer uh, completely, um, but, I just know that we got to keep keep working at it. Well, I I I think uh, as as you mentioned, there's a lot of uh, uh, good optimism to 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 be having about things as we move into the future. And uh, this has been, I think, we've covered quite a lot in uh, so. the time for this podcast. And I I appreciate uh, all of your uh, insights and historical background about things and. Uh, um, I want to thank you for uh, being part of this, and I uh, look forward to hopefully uh, meeting you at the uh, in the future at a accessible event. Likewise, Joe. Thanks for the opportunity. Keep up the great work with the podcast, and uh, we'll see you down the road. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. 
Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.